G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm tackling some of the questions getting posted in our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. Head on over and join if you're not already a part of the conversations. I'm tackling lots of different questions, such as do I buy one property at 600k or two at 300k? And I'm looking at some of the different areas people are asking about. Is this suburb, you know, a good one to buy in? What's the pros and cons of using a buyer's agent? How do I set a budget and approach things using the equity that you have in your house? Also going into some of my thoughts on having a principal and interest loan versus interest only and whether or not the units in the larger older complexes are worth considering as an investment or not. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. So let's go through some of the questions getting asked on our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. And if you're not already a member, make sure you search us out and get involved in the conversations yourself. I've already chimed in some of my answers to these, but thought it would be worth sharing um, these questions with our wider audience. And remember, this is not specific advice because I don't understand the person's whole situation and I'm just giving you my take, my opinion for what it's worth to help you see how I think about things and form your own investing strategy. So let's dive into the first one, shall we? This person's looking to spend 600 k in and around Perth. What are some of the pros and cons of buying one property at about 600k versus two at about 300k? Thanks in advance. So some of the things that come to mind is that you've got to take a look at your situation and how that intersects with the property that you're going to purchase and what ultimate outcomes you're trying to get from your purchase. So when you take a look at your personal situation, If your ability to save is tight or low and if you don't have much cash flow and you're not likely to be able to weather interest rates going up and, you know, bear some a bit more negative gearing that you may get at a 600k sort of purchase price, then you may want to then look more towards the lower end where you're going to get a better cash flow. However, that being said, the quality of your property and the tenants that you're going to attract at the lower end really need to be given thought out too. Yes, you're going to get a better rental yield, but you're likely going to have more headaches from tenants to deal with. And that just comes part and parcel with dealing in the lower demographics. But ultimately, I think the choice for price point needs to come back to your strategy. So let's assume you can afford potential holding cost of a 600k property. Then my next question would be are you investing for cash flow or are you investing for capital growth? And where you sit on that spectrum, if you can't afford 
600K property, I think you should always invest for as much growth as you can early on until you've created that asset base. And then you have options to pay down some of that debt, sell a property and pay down debt to start converting that portfolio. And it's really a bigger question of asset allocation, looking at both property, shares, super, and getting a really good financial plan together so that you can decide where to allocate those assets and how to create the income. But in order to create an income from your assets, in my mind, you need to grow that asset base first. So a 600K property is going to have the best chances for growth. And when we compare the options for a 300K property, look, there's really not much you can buy in Perth for 300K. You're going to be relegated to buying units or really, really far out properties that are likely to only have, say, a 4% average annual growth rate. You might get a surge in growth ahead, but then it could sit flat for 10, 15 years again. Um, And I think you'd find that the average annual growth rate on most properties that you're going to be buying at 300K is likely to be around probably 4 to 4.5%. As opposed to the 600K property, it's going to have a more even sort of uh, growth profile. You're going to get that uh, burst in the next sort of 12 to 18 months, I'd imagine, just as with the 300K property, because Perth's uh, still very hot, market's going very well, and I expect a good upside ahead at both price points. But the difference on the 600K property is that's probably going to perform at five and a half, six percent ongoingly. So you model that out and let's say there's a 2% difference in growth. Now, if you were spending the same amount of money at 500K, I've looked at what this difference will be over 30 years and the difference in growth. And even when you take into account the extra cash flow on what, on the lower end property, the extra growth on the upper end property, the taxes you extra taxes you pay on the income of the lower end property along the way. You don't pay tax on the compounding capital growth in the higher property, which is one of the big advantages to compounding that growth without paying tax. You end up with a potential extra one point one million dollars on five hundred k invested. And assuming that you put that into uh, equal sort of priced assets, in this case, potentially buying two properties at 300 versus one at 600, well, the differential is going to be greater because we've got an overall asset base of 600K. Whereas in my example, then I just mentioned $1.1 million difference in growth on a 500K outlay. So the difference for me always is better to be going towards the growth property, the quality property. And not only because we get better tenants, you're going to have less hassles, you're going to be more um, inclined to stick it out in the game, providing you can afford it and you've modelled out your cash flow. In Perth at the moment, the rental yields are so good that you're still probably going to get a 45 to 5% yield on a 600k property. Over East, that would be unheard of well, to even buy a 600k property if you'd be struggling in most of the other capitals at the moment. And on the 300K property, yes, you might get a 6% yield to 6.5% yield. But that extra three grand or four grand that you make per year is not going to change your life. If the property doubles in 10 years, that is going to change your life. So it's more likely to double on the 600K property 
is what I'm saying, than it is on the 300K property that's going to have a lot lower average annual growth rate, especially when you extrapolate this out over 30 years. Because all we need to do is look back at the past evidence of what's occurred. Yes, you can try to select these hotspot locations that are going to boom because of certain factors. It's very difficult to predict that. That's why I use an evidence-based approach that's very data-driven, looking back at what has occurred in the past, seeing if those factors still exist, and then choosing suburbs based on that kind of selection. And I can help people choose suburbs at a whole range of price points. But if you've got the choice, I'd always be looking at the higher end of what you can afford. So go the 600K, that's the one I'd purchase. And keep in mind as well that this person's just looking at that 600K budget. Why not save up some more money and invest in a higher price point? Depends on your ability to save. So I look at 600K and thinks that that is incredibly cheap. And if you're able to cash flow, if you've got a really strong cash flow and you're able to sort of buy at any price, I'd be buying at 1.2 to 1.5. And that's the, the other end of the spectrum in Perth for buying um, quality growth assets that are going to have an even higher potential for ongoing average annual growth. And you'd be wanting to target something like 7 to 8% average annual growth rate when you're spending that sort of 1.2, 1.5. And that's the end of the market that I prefer to focus on now. Obviously, couldn't focus on that throughout when I was starting my investment journey and uh, when I'm still building up capital and cash flow. But now that's the end that I choose to focus on. So just thought I'd add that on the end there to expand that 600k is actually still relatively lower priced yes it's slightly above the median but there's a whole nother uh, price point above that that you could look to buy in if growth was your ultimate goal and if you could cash flow it and still uh, be all right with it cool so next question let's go on hope you didn't get lost in my uh going around the merry-go-round there, but it is multifaceted and it is worth considering pros and cons from each side. The next question, how do you search for the right investment property without forking out 10 to 15K for a buyer's agent every single time? Thanks for sharing your approach and no disrespect to buyer's agents. Look, I thought this was a really good question because even when I can choose to do all the research buy a property using my own negotiation in if I had the choice and I had the money, I would use a buyer's agent and I do use a buyer's agent on many occasions because they really help separate your emotions from the search. You're relying on them to take a hard logical look at every purchase and they're a second set of eyes. And if Market's going hot and you're needing access to off-market deals. They can be really great for getting access to them. If you want the confidence to be able to pull the trigger on something and have their view on price and whether it's really going to stack up for rentability and future resale, then that confidence is worth a lot. And ultimately, you wouldn't spend the 10 to 15K for a buyer's agent if you weren't getting value. So... This person could be asking the question and have never spent it and doesn't actually know the real value. And I think you're getting 
many times that value back. And even if you get into the market, you know, six months or three months ahead of time, you get into a deal that you couldn't have got that was off market, or you buy something and it's going to perform better over the next, you know, 20, 30 years that you're holding it, that cost is also tax deductible, uh, speak to your accountant to verify, but the actual return on this investment in the buyer's agent is well worth making. Now, we can refer you to a buyer's agent if you're needing one because we work with some really great ones in Perth. And with um, if you do want to go it alone or even if you do want to use a buyer's agent, some of our property investment advisory services can really help arm you so that you could do it yourself if you wanted to or you could approach a buyer's agent knowing a lot more about your suburbs that you want to look at, look for. So we have our buyer's info pack that includes recommended suburbs based on an evidence-based data-driven approach. So we look at the 30-year average annual growth rates, a study that I had commissioned by Rewa to give me this data, not available anywhere else that I'm aware of. And I look through which of the suburbs this is likely to continue in, which suburbs these factors still exist in that has driven growth in the past. And then we also overlay the shorter-term factors so you can make a comparison between the five or six suburbs that we come up with. And that way you can see the online search interest, you can see the days on market, you can see the vacancy rates, you can see the rental yields, and you can make informed decision looking at a whole bunch of other data as well as to which is the best shorter-term choice of suburbs. Align that with the longer-term choices longer-term evidence-based selection that we come up with. And in this buyer's info pack, we also have some example conditions to include in an offer and acceptance. That's really handy and you don't know what you don't know about these things until, of course, we ask as a property manager on the other end, oh, did you include permission to use the sale photos for rental and did you include permission to do viewings once your finance was approved and so we can lease it before settlement. And no, a lot of people don't even think of these things. So example conditions in there that'll really help as well as my ideal criteria that you can overlay over the top. And this really helps you hold up. Does the suburb check out? Does the area check out? Does the property check out and drill down from the top of your macro to the micro? And I also go through the different non-negotiables in there that shouldn't be compromised because, of course, you're usually going to have some trade-offs to make. No property's perfect overall. And let's say you that's going to really arm you. Our, our uh, buyer info pack, you can find details of that in the show notes. We'll just go to our website and click on the investing section. Other ways we can help is to give you a specific property review. That's when I hold a property up to the ideal criteria. And I also look at how has the past performance of the property been? What is its likely rental price and current price that I'd suggest it's worth on the open market for sale? As well as go into the background of the property and look at how it has actually performed in the past, might have mentioned that or may not have. And on the rental side, we also look at is there factors that can hinder or be done to improve its rentability. And I'm 
certainly looking into same on the sales side. So specific property review, all of these are relatively low cost and uh, just done to help people not buy mistakes and to bring us really great properties that are not going to have major difficulties in finding tenants or in selling them in the future. If someone does need to get out, we don't want to be discovering the mistakes when it comes to renting and selling later. And it's a hard combo to have with people then. So I always prefer to give the advice before we get down that road. So that's going to help people do a lot of the things without a buyer's agent if they so wished. We also offer property inspection services and final inspection for the sale services for East Coast investors. So check those um, out as an option as well. But all in all, I'd suggest if you can find the money for a buyer's agent, it's going to be well worth the investment. Next question, what's everyone's views on Cloverdale, which is extremely close to the airport? Is it likely to deter owner-occupiers from wanting to reside there due to noise? So Cloverdale's next to Belmont and Rivervale. I actually used to live in Rivervale for four years, so I know the area really well. Got Belmont Forum there. The airport's actually very accessible to a lot of the fly-in, fly-out workers. Jump on Orong Road and head up to the city very quickly. You've got Big Park on the other side there as well. You can um, the actual uh, Belmont Forum is wonderful with its cafes and restaurants and cinema and you know all the shopping that you'd ever want in there. And it's relatively really close to the city. And if you pick this suburb up and put it into any of our other capitals, people would be really surprised that it's at its price. Won't quote the median. I think it's around 480 at the moment, just off the top of my head. So it's close to the median price for overall Perth. And what I'd say is that there's definitely better locations within Cloverdale. So I'd be more concerned about buying very close to the Tonkin Highway side because you get a lot of road noise throwing up off of there. I'd also be looking up the exact flight paths for aircraft and seeing uh, where the heavy traffic is because that makes a big difference. And Cloverdale, surprisingly, despite these two negatives, is actually one of the very good solid performers over the last 30 years. And it's actually is as a suburb recommendation in my buyer's info pack. So I wouldn't rule it out entirely. I would look at, there's probably some homes west through there as well. So that's that also can come up in my specific property reviews to tell you if it's if they're in close proximity and the factor to consider. And I'd look very closely at who your neighbours are, where it is, what the street is, is like, street level. I'd stay away from directly under the you know, the hot flight path, and I'd stay away from directly being close to Tonkin Highway. But otherwise, I think it's a pretty solid suburb worth consideration if that's your budget. Next question. So, High Property Brains Trust. My partner and I have 137k conditional usable equity, and we're looking to use it in our principal place of residence to begin our investment journey. We're accessing it now and have the time to find the right place. My question is, would you look for an investment at 350 to 400K in a unit in a small complex, example, a two by one 
with renovation potential or buy a house with land value further out from the city. Our goal is capital growth and negative gearing over the medium term while we are dinks, double income, no kids. We have the cash flow to service this. Also, any advice or lessons learned for first-time investors is appreciated. So I went back and asked the question, would you be comfortable to increase your budget a bit more to buy in the best area that you can afford? So they've mentioned 350 to 400K as their budget, but with that 137K usable equity, they could actually borrow up to 550 when borrowing an 80% and allowing 5% for costs. So if they actually left a little bit aside in a buffer, if they actually wanted and felt like they needed a buffer, they could you know, potentially then buy at 500K and just get into a better quality of property. Relating back to the first question I answered where I think you should buy the best quality that you can afford to get into the best growth type of suburb that you can afford. And there is a big difference in my mind between buying at the 500K rather than their 350K budget over the long term. And we've just spoken above about extrapolating this out over 30 years. And if you've got 2% difference, you know, you'd be up for an extra million dollars for a time. And if you invest in the better quality location and at 500K, you are still going to get a pretty decent rental yield. And they've said that they can afford it and cash flow it. One concern with the way that they've asked their question for me is that their goal was negative gearing. They said capital growth first, but they did mention negative gearing. So I wouldn't be like setting out as a goal to negatively gear per se. Yes, it's a nice to get a tax deduction, but keep in mind you are still losing, you know, 70 cents in the dollar or 50 cents in the dollar, depending on what your tax bracket is. And yeah, look, I'm not saying that the government will ever take it away, but I always like to think worst case scenario, are you able to cash flow it even if the government does take it away? And focus on the primary goal of the capital growth in this case or in cash flow if that's more your goal. If you've got the extra income, as they say they do, I'd certainly be leaning towards a higher price point rather than the lower land value, lower land component, lower price sort of unit that historically has not performed as well as a house on uh, with a decent land component. So I, in part, didn't uh, answer the question fully. So I upped their purchase price and said, you know, spend more <laughs> if you can feel comfortable with that. But what? Uh, imagine if if you had to spend the same 350 to 400K, I'd probably still buy a house if they don't, aren't comfortable with upping their budget and I'd look further out. And yeah, I still think having a higher land component is going to be better and it needs to be a well-located land component. And look, there can be some merit to if you're finding you're not getting what you want for your budget to look at smaller, like say a villa that's still got a decent land component that's not part of a big complex that's got that low or no strata fees that is in a prime location, then uh, that could be worth considering. But you're still not going to get into something like that for 350 or 400K. So up your budget, increase your options and hopefully get into a better overall asset would be my input there. So next question, does anyone have any good articles or posts that you can reference in regards to the pros and cons of having your loan as a principal interest 
instead of interest only. I'm aware of all the obvious benefits of interest only on investment loans. Just wondering if anyone knows any case studies or investment strategies that use principal and interest loan repayments. Okay, I thought I'd throw this in here, even though I may not be able to give this person the complexity that they're after, but I thought it'd be worth touching on the subject of your loan setup. And this is by no way financial advice and just some of the things that I think about when I'm choosing my loan setup. So I would look at whether the if the property's got more income and it's positive cash flow, then it could be worth for me looking at having it on principal and interest. It means you're going to pay some of that back along the way. But if you're still trying to grow your portfolio and add more properties, usually it would be best to actually have it on interest only to pile up your money for your next deposit and to keep growing your asset base rather than paying off some of the principal. And yes, you get a lower interest rate for a P&I loan. And in many cases, it can be worth taking a look at that and weighing it up because you're going to have to pay you know, slot higher interest rate on the interest only loan, but you don't have to pay the principal component. So you're still going to be better off, I think, with interest only. And you can still then put more of this money towards your future deposits. And if you happen to leave it in an offset account in the meantime, so that it's offsetting against the loan still, it's almost like having your principal paid off in the meantime, but you've got flexible use and choice of where you're going to spend that money. And that's then going to give you the ability to keep growing your portfolio and not have it trapped in the loan so that uh, you can't redraw on the principal. So just some of my thoughts, by no means financial advice, look to get, speak to your broker, speak to your financial planner about how this might come together as part of an overall strategy with your property loans and your what you're trying to achieve with your portfolio. Next question. Hi, all. We're looking into our next investment property. What are your thoughts on the complexes of Osborne Park, Chewett Hill, Yokine area on large lots of land like the one um, they've posted here? Wondered if there is the expectation of future subdivision and each unit getting a share. So look, if you've got a really limited budget, and let's say it might be 250, 300K, I'd look at what's your ability to save. And if it's really slow and going to take you a long time to save, the unit market in Perth is still 12 to 18 months behind the housing market. So our upper end prices and coastal properties, you know, that were premium end started growing first. Then it moved down to the ripple effect, moved on to more family-friendly properties with great schools, you know, more lower and medium price, but still these suburbs are going hot still. The upper end is still growing, hasn't stopped, generally speaking. And now we've sort of rippled out even further down to more of the lower priced end of the market where a lot of the migrants and investor activities focusing because of the strong rental yields and relative affordability. So then we usually find that the unit market which is the most affordable and often most accepted by migrants, tends to grow last 12 to 18 months' time, I'd expect, providing that interest rates don't knock us about uh, too much. That's when uh, you'll likely see these types of units uh, in higher density growing. 
Now, when you take a look at other parts of Australia, you have to appreciate that somewhere like Sydney, this type of unit complex, it would be an amazing and massive price for a unit in here. And people have, have actually been, it's been very popular to buy those types of properties there. Well located, great amenities around them. And uh, they've still got a higher land component than you're going to find with many of the newer built unit complexes. A lot of these older built complexes are also built very solidly. So you haven't had a lot of those building issues that have been coming up in newer complexes. Um, and the biggest difference I can see between Sydney and Melbourne and Perth is that we just haven't got the same psyche and adopted the same level of density as the other major capitals. Will that happen? I don't know. And to what extent? I don't know. But when you look back, the unit market has historically performed a lot worse than the housing market. If your focus is on cash flow, I think there's probably better ways to achieve it. If your budget is really limited and you find that you can't get into other options, maybe you look at it, but you're looking at my ability to save trying to get into higher price points and not rushing in if you're able to save up over the next couple of years as opposed to buying something now, it could be worth just taking the time to save and taking a longer road. I do know some investors that have bought in these complexes and done pretty rough over the last 10 years, virtually no upside. But when the market eventually comes back around, the growth cycle is going to be more sporadic than you're going to find in um, more of the steady performing houses at higher price points. And all in all, there isn't the same level of attraction to these areas that you find in the city of Melbourne. So that's where you can get caught out as an investor coming over and thinking, oh, you know, comparing what you know has happened. There isn't the evidence in the past data to support that they're going to follow suit of what's happened in Sydney and Melbourne happy to be proven wrong and i really hope those areas do perform what's the other side to the uh, equation this person's mentioned are there is there an expectation for future subdivision if each unit's getting and each unit getting a share so there's been a change to the strata titles act which will make a big difference to some of these unit complexes so previously in order for a developer to come in and buy out the group i believe it had to be virtually all unit holders accepting and signing off on that. So it made it really difficult for a lot of these sites to be redeveloped. Now, I believe it's just a majority needing to agree, and that could be 51 units out of 100 uh, classes as a majority. Now, I haven't read all the final details. I'm not across it, but I just know that the way that these things are decided has changed now with the updated Strata Titles Act, and that's going to have a big impact on some of these sites actually being able to progress through to development. Does that still change the investment rhetoric of buying in them? Look, it's a bonus. You can't count on it. You can't plan for it, but it's a, it's a nice bonus if and when it does happen. You'll see you get a nice capital growth kicker. So... There's probably uh, still worse places to put your money and riskier places, but all things considered, if you're able to save more or buy on a higher price point, it wouldn't be my first go-to strategy if you want to build capital. A final one is testing a property for meth common in Perth. Well, thankfully, we haven't had 
the crazy methamphetamine usage and labs going on in Perth that uh, has been rampant, I hear, through New Zealand and, and other parts of Australia. I'd know because we manage nearly 900 properties across Perth and it's only a very rare thing that comes up. Did have to message my team to see what the sort of cost is and we've very rarely had testing done. Certainly not something that is done very common. You'd want to do it if you've ever suspected that the property could have had meth cooking done in the property because if it occurs, it really poisons and damages a lot of the paint throughout, a lot of all the floor coverings, window treatments, all of this would have to be disposed of and completely renovated back to being usable and actually healthy enough for someone to live in. So it can be a major issue if it's discovered on a property that you just bought. So worth looking for the signs that there could have been that done in the property previously. Are the walls sticky if the property's already tenanted? Has the door been busted in? <laughs> and is there any other signs of drug use that would uh, give you suspicion to think that it is being done there? And, of course, if an agent's aware of these things, they should be disclosing them and it can affect the rentability and saleability of a property. So definitely something to be wary of, but not that common in Perth. And there is testing that you can get done for it. It depends how much testing they do of the overall property, but you might be looking at $300 to $500 around to get samples done. Depends how many samples they take. So lots of different topics today. Hope my two cents has given you some food for thought and some help with your investing now and in the future. And if you're not already a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group, make sure you head on over. We'd love to see, see you in the conversations. Bye. Just a reminder that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature, as we don't know your specific situation. You should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. Thank you.